How exactly do you recruit well after being way under 500 in college football? We'll answer that question today. Let's go. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play by play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions every weekday and to stay in tune with the latest around the conference when it comes to recruiting. We bring on John Garcia Jr., the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated, back on the pod. Let's hop right into it because I have a question that is just burning at the top of my mind. Arizona goes 1-11 and in 2021. Stanford goes 3-9 and in 2021. For those of us math majors at home, I'm not one of them, but maybe there are a couple of you out there, that computes to a 4-20 and combined record. And yet, when you look at the top recruiting classes in 2022 in the Pac-12 Conference, Arizona and Stanford find themselves very close to the top on a high school-only basis without factoring in the transfer portal before Oregon got a couple of late commitments from guys like Josh Connerly, who we might talk about a little bit later as well today in the show, Arizona was uh, second and they were in a top 25 level and Stanford was the top recruiting class. How does that happen? How do you go from an utter lack of on-field results to going out and selling your program in a significant way, keeping kids committed who made verbal uh, commitments in the past? I mean, I mean, how does that happen, John? This is a great question, Spencer, because these two in particular are great case studies and they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. So I think we'll start with Stanford because it's just simpler to explain. Look, David Shaw still gets the benefit of the doubt from basically everyone in high school and college football because there is kind of this longstanding belief that when he gets it right, it's really right at Stanford. And obviously the academics sell themselves at a program like that. So there is a belief that, hey, Three and nine is more of an anomaly than something we're going to see on a consistent basis. The Pac-12 is in flux. It will bounce back over there. So naturally, you're going to get an influx of recruits. But I do think that they they hit kind of some conventional Stanford marks in this class. One, obviously, you recruit nationally, right? Stanford is one of those programs that, despite being in a great recruiting foundation in, in, in California and the Bay Area, you've got to recruit nationally because of the academics. And I think 14 states were represented in this class of, of 2022 but in the state you did win some key battles and that starts with david bailey you know the si 99 pass rusher from modern day heavyweight battle for him a lot of people thought this was usc's race to lose and maybe it was at one point uh, but again the combination of academics and really the scheme you know stanford's still known as a program that wants to build inside out you know, I think those things sold um, him on being a member of that Cardinal class and really the headliner Bailey in this Cardinal class. But you've got some spot recruiting wins elsewhere as well. You still built inside out heavy trench class on offense and defense. And then you went outside of the region and, and did well in the South in particular. Um, I'm really curious to see how Ashton Cozart develops the quarterback they got uh, out of Buford High School, which is a perennial power. That's something we've seen they them do in recruiting quarterbacks you know it's not always about the biggest flashiest kid 
but one who comes from a very winning program has translated well for Stanford. So they still hit some of their similar marks in what they build in a recruiting class. And again, from the prospect perspective, there's still a huge belief in what Stanford can offer on the field in terms of correcting itself under David Shaw, but then also off the field. It just kind of is what it is with the Cardinal. With Arizona, it's the opposite. It is, hey, this is a new coaching staff. The plan is to be exciting offensively under Jed Fish. And you could see a little bit of that in, in 2021, not not in the win-loss column, but it's certainly in select moments of 2021. Uh, and then, again, you throw in the other school in the state being a disaster right now in Arizona State and all of the fluctuation in the Pac-12. And they kind of limped into some great recruiting wins. Uh, I don't want to discredit them, but they, you know, you know, that coaching staff was fortunate with some of these decisions, particularly uh, with the Oregon coaching staff change. You know, the, the headlining recruit there for the Wildcats is Tip Tyrell McMillan, a kid out of Servite High School, former Duck commitment, uh, and one of the best receivers in the country, another member uh, of the SI99 rankings. But again, I say that they limped into it, you know, not to bash them, but like, hey, luck is, is better than, than being good sometimes, right? So he happens to play at Servite High School with a quarterback, Noah Fafita, who was long committed to Arizona already. So there was, there was already an internal, hey, come play with me at Arizona as well from his quarterback. So now that duo combined with tight end Keon Burnett, another Servite prospect, kind of headlined that group. And it's a very offensive heavy group that is playing into what we saw in glimpses in 2021. And like, hey, this is the first year transition program. We can do things offensively. Now we just need the guys. And I think that's an easy sell for Jed Fish and company. And you, you look around that commitment list and there's a lot of speed and playmaking ability. I mean, uh, on, even on a national scale with those SI 99 recruits in McMillan and Burnett, but also the running back, Rayshon Luke kind of broke out as a senior, another California kid, uh, and then went nuts at the all American bowl in Texas as one of the, the big play running backs that we've seen over the last year or two. Uh, and he's one of the fastest players in the country. So I do think Arizona had a unique, uh, advantage in all the transition going on in their state and in their conference combined with, you know, grabbing that quarterback early that happened to have some really key teammates. I think that really spearheaded their top 25 class. And, and it's one of the more remarkable things we've seen in recruiting relative to the on-field performance, as you said. Yeah. I mean, you go one and 11, your only win is a 10 to three absolute barn burner against, against Cal who was under 500 a season ago, as well and then you look up and they're out recruiting schools who had much more much more successful seasons last year and that's just not something that that you expect to see and I, I think part of the recruiting appeal with Jed Fish is his NFL background right he's worked under Bill Belichick he worked under Sean McVay a little bit and I, I think there are always valid questions raised when a coach comes from the NFL ranks whether it's a head coach or a position coach or a coordinators well, well how's he going to recruit because you, you don't have to recruit. You do some scouting and player profiles in the NFL, but you don't have to actually go to living rooms, be out on the recruiting trail, and, and know how to talk to these kids to be able to pitch your program to them. That, that's a completely different thing. But part of the appeal that you do have as an NFL coach, even if you're kind of missing you know, that, uh, that it factor of how to connect with, with young high school kids, is I've been in the NFL. I know what it takes to get there. Here's how we can get you to that sort of level. And by the way, uh, everybody, this is just something that very rarely, I mean, rarely happens. Uh, I'm going to briefly 
correct John here. He had a, a little bit of a slip. I believe you said Ashton uh -oh. Cozart, the Oregon wide receiver, and it's Ashton Daniels, the Stanford quarterback commit in the class yes. of, of 2022. Yes, yeah. sure. it, <laughs> we, is, we it talking... is Daniels. Buford High School. Buford yeah, High School. yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. That, that's that's correct. We were talking about Cozart a little bit earlier in, in the day on uh, uh, when we were recording for, for Locked on Ducks and whatnot. So uh, understandable, happens to the best. So it goes to show you, even though John's the best at what he does, Everybody makes mistakes from 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 time to time. It it does tend to happen. There's another surprise when it comes to Pac-12 recruiting rankings that we'll talk about after I remind you that I'm a huge fan of brownies. And you know what I love even more than the brownies is the brownie batter because I don't know about you, John, but I prefer to just lick the spatula as you go along and then you look down and you're like, mm, boy, we're only filling like half the brownie pan here. Well, imagine yep. if you could lick that brownie spatula. Lick it completely clean. And get some protein. That's what you're getting in Built Bar's brownie batter puffs. That is a brownie batter flavored protein infused marshmallow. 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 7 grams of sugar. They're the perfect pick-me-up for literally any day. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Another surprise in, in the Pac-12 when you're looking at the, the recruiting battles this year is Colorado is sitting there at fifth. Now, they weren't, you know, as bad as Arizona last year, right? They went four and eight, and they've got Carl Durrell in. This is going to be his third season. Last year was his second. They had a promising shortened 2020 campaign. They were four and two, and things were looking up, and then they kind of kind of took a step back. I, I don't think they have quite the offensive firepower, but – they have lost a lot of players in the transfer portal this year. Uh, Rice, the wide receiver, went down to USC along with every other wide receiver of note in the country. <laughs> it, it seems. I mean, you got Jordan Addison there. You've got Terrell Bynum. You've got uh, Mario Williams. Mario, Mario Williams from Oklahoma, of course. Everybody's going down there if you're <laughs> if you're a wideout and such. But kind of in that in that same realm that we were talking about, Arizona and Stanford being ahead of other other programs, Oregon State has a seven-win season after being way, way down in previous years. They look to be trending up. UCLA has been down. When Chip Kelly first got there, they didn't even have a full assortment of scholarship players on the roster, I, I don't think. They have an eight-win season. And yet Colorado has a higher-ranked recruiting class of, of those two schools when you're just looking at, at the high school kids. So what do you, what do you make of the Buffaloes kind of kind of quietly bringing in a nice class for a program that is historically pretty tough to recruit at. Yeah, I, I think uh, the bounce back of, you know, the pandemic restrictions that, that really hindered recruiting for a lot of programs that are like Colorado, that you just, you have to rely on visits at schools like that. So those being lifted and, and the full allotment of official visits and all of that coming back to college football, I think really benefited a program. Uh, like Colorado. Obviously, it's a unique campus, a unique atmosphere relative to some others, not only in the Pac-12, but nationally. So they were able to go in early uh, with, with top prospects in terms of getting them on campus. So I think they started out pretty strong. I think at one point they had maybe the biggest class in the country like a year ago at this point. So I think that strength out of the gate well, was really important uh, for that staff. Uh, and then they identified some talent outside the region that really works. Um, I really love their maybe their last pickup in the class, you know, uh, Anthony Hankerson, a kid from, from down my neck of the woods uh, in Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas. This is a like old school 
like you think of Colorado in the nineties, you think of these running backs, right? Uh, this, this kid fits some of that. I mean, he is a physical downhill runner who I would just be shocked if, if he doesn't play relatively early when he gets up to Colorado. And, and I think staying on a kid like that, where at one point it looked like he was going to go to bigger options. He had a lot of options earlier in his recruitment, sticking with a kid like that, I think combined with a visit again, something unique, something different outside the box, starts to help bridge the gap for schools like Colorado. So you grab him and now there's other uh, kids from South Florida. I think another one of his teammates at St. Thomas is headed up to Colorado as well. So you start galvanizing outside of the region a, a little bit. Uh, and then you got some names, right? Not just Hankerson. I mean, Owen McCown, obviously. All the McCowns play quarterback in the NFL. Uh, so you grab one from Texas uh, in an unnecessary footprint for Colorado. You got to re recruit Cali. You got to recruit Texas if you're Colorado. So getting a class headliner and a quarterback early uh, like Owen McCown, I thought was really important in terms of bringing in other skill talent like Hankerson, uh, who we just talked about. So that was good outside of the region as well. And again, another early positive evaluation uh, for the Buffaloes. And then you still have to counter that with local talent. You know, I, I think Travis Gray, the legacy recruit, those are important ones to win as well, because not only do you get you know, a 6'5 athletic offensive lineman who could eventually, you know, play into to the starting lineup. But now you're getting a guy who knows Colorado, who's close to home, in-state, who's going to recruit publicly for, for the buffs. And I think schools that are not obvious in recruiting, you always need that peer-to-peer -peer recruiting. That's one of the lessons from those pandemic-level restrictions that, that when you couldn't visit, you needed the peers, the, the fellow recruits, to really jump in for you. And I think Gray was a big part of that, along with McCown in building this this buff class just as much as the coaching staff was so it's kind of the right formula for colorado in terms of going outside of the region identifying kids early landing them early uh and then keeping some local talent home as well so kind of the perfect storm for colorado but again now you have to complement that with with some some more on-field success i would say to try to duplicate duplicate that here in the the 23 cycle yeah, I think that there's more pressure on a school like Colorado to win on the field to keep that sort of recruiting momentum going or else it just is going to, I think, give off the vibe of the program of like, oh, well, they're just they're just going to be down and they're not going to you know, do this, that or the other thing. And it's not as if Colorado isn't capable of being a solid program. It's a lot tougher than at other schools, right? If you're a, a new or a young head coach, it's tougher to win at Colorado than at, say, you know, USC or Oregon or heck even Washington, right? If I'm trying to rebuild, you know, if I'm picking a school to rebuild at and I'm a, a young up and coming head coach, which, you know, sounds kind of fun, but also sounds like a lot of, a lot of work, frankly, I would yeah. rather be at a place like Washington than, than Colorado, just because you've got more kids in state, you've got, you know, probably more money at, at the program as well. And just a, a better tradition there, but it's been done before. Colorado has, won the Pac-12 South. That was back in 2016, I believe. They got to the championship game, had a 10-win season, so it's been done. It's just a, a little bit tougher than at some other places. I think Cal Berkeley kind of falls into that category as well. Uh, two teams that were at or near the top of the conference recruiting rankings this year, unsurprisingly, the two that met in the Pac-12 championship game this past season, Oregon and Utah. And, and there's a litany of potentially high-impact recruits who could play pretty early in their careers for, for the Ducks and, and the Utes this season. Let's just go one one of each, John. So of all the guys that are incoming true freshmen for, for Oregon, the class of 2022, we'll start with them and then we'll go to Utah. 
which freshman do you think could make the biggest impact this year? It's a great question. You know, I, I thought, uh, you know, certainly you could go offensive skill, maybe in the secondary for the Ducks, but I'm going to the top of the rankings, man. SI 99 recruit Joshua Connerly. I know he's the latest arriving true freshman, uh, but I'm not saying game one. Once you get to game eight, nine, ten, a little bit of attrition on the offensive line that, that comes naturally in the power five, you're not going to keep that kid off the field. You know, we, we've seen them play true freshmen and trust true freshmen along the offensive line. Panay Sewell obviously comes to mind, and, and Connerly, talent-wise, could be in that realm. Now, Sewell was bigger and more physically developed when he got to Oregon, but Connerly's played all these other sports, so now he's going to focus on football. So, again, through the summer into the fall, just so curious to see how he develops physically as he assimilates in towards the college level. But, look, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, – ground and pound and, and physicality that's desired in Oregon from the last regime and this regime, but you still need finesse. You still need a pass block. It's still a pass first sport in nature. And that's where Josh Connolly is among the best in the country at any school, um, even as, as potentially as a true freshman. So I'm still really excited to see where, where he looks uh, later in the season. So maybe not instant impact day one, but season one, I think that box will be checked. What about for Utah? What what sort of incoming freshmen? You know, let, let's go past the the transfers. Like you figure, Muhammad Diabate, the Florida oh, linebacker, yeah. probably going to slide in and take Devin Lloyd's starting slot, or at least he, he has the potential to do that. But uh, which up and comers for the Utes do do you really like? I, I like Jalen Glover, the running back. Uh, you know, running back's one of those positions, Spencer, where we see the ability to to make an instant impact. I think running back receiver pass rusher are usually the spots where even in spot duty, you see true freshmen doing considerable damage uh, at the next level. And I think Glover, who's already up there, he's already kind of bought into everything Utah. I think he's got like a, like a documentary or something coming out on him uh, about his, his tribulations up there. This is a, a physically ready back for college football, low center of gravity kid, extremely agile, good laterally, can play out of the backfield as well. You think of Utah, you think of defense first, but then offensively you think of that Zach Moss attitude uh, style uh, from the running back position. And we know, yeah, we, we know offensively, look, Cam Rising's back, top 10 quarterback, all that stuff, but you still need to counter that. And I think, you know, Jalen Glover could work into that running back rotation sooner rather than later. And, and he might be a specialist or a short yardage guy early on, but again, extremely productive at like one of the top high schools in Florida and a kid that we were shocked down in the South to see get out of the region because we thought for sure this was going to be a Florida Gator or somebody like that at the end of the day. So uh, I've always been a fan of Jalen Glover, under, under-recruited kid relative to his production. And those are the kind of kids that Utah evaluates and identifies and gets committed that makes you say, man, like what in the world, this kid's from down here. How did that happen? I think he's just the next chip on your shoulder kind of back that's going to do really well at Utah. So my eyes are on Jalen Glover for sure. Under-recruited chip on your shoulder. That's a Utah football special right there. I think I think that's yeah. Kyle Whittingham's MO, just, just kind of generally <laughs> speaking. And, and, yes, they have a first-team All-Pac-12 running back returning in Tavion Thomas, but you still have to have a complement a complimentary back or two or sometimes even three because, because guys can get injured, right? I mean, teams have been – undergoing that that occurrence for for quite some time like you you want to have one lead back who can carry the workload especially in a physical team like utah who wants to run the football but you've got to be able to spell him and i think glover could be a, a candidate for that as well let's move on to washington 
the Huskies are down. There, there's no ifs, ands, or, or buts about it. The Huskies are down relative to where that program expects to be. New head coach coming in in Kalen DeBoer. But before we get to what he needs to do to, to turn things around, specifically on the recruiting trail, given that is your, your area of expertise, as you've watched the program and such over the years, how do you, how do you think Washington has fallen so far down, you know, relative to where they were really not that long ago? I mean, it was 20, really 17 when they were in the college football playoff. You go, for, you go from that, right, almost at the top of the sport five years ago to now, bottom third in the recruiting and transfer portal rankings in the Pac-12 conference, not just nationally, but in the Pac-12 conference, four and eight in 2021. Like, what, what do you think happened here? Transition. You know, it's just hard. One time it's hard, right? I think everybody could agree. Transitioning at the, at the top is very hard, but you do it twice in three years and it, you just, you're multiplying the difficulty in terms of trying to establish who in the world you are as a recruiting program, you know, and I think Washington has had its moments uh, on the recruiting trail. They're still known more for identification and development than just winning top tier battles. Um, but I do think that was still an identity there. And I'm not sure what exists now in terms of Washington recruiting. I think it's mostly regional now um, into the Pacific Northwest. And and what is the niche with, with Husky recruiting? I think it's still to be determined and that's not good for a power five program. You need to have kind of that core foundation of, hey, when I get this offer as a recruit, I know I'm gonna get this if I, I look further into that. And I think that's up in the air to a degree with Washington at the moment. And, and the coaching transition certainly uh, plays a role into that. And I do think on the flip side, you know, you wanna recruit regionally and, and that's your, your base and Seattle's a great Metro to pull from uh, right at home. But on the flip side, since 2017, how many of those high profile battles have they actually won with the select big name recruits in the area? Uh, so the guys who move the needle, the guys who other recruits who are maybe younger look up to, like a JT Tuimolau, you look at those battles and say, okay, well, he went to Ohio State. Okay, what about, uh, you know, Jane Wayne in this class? Well, probably not going to go to Washington. Okay, well, what, what's going on with Washington, right? That's kind of the natural question uh, to go back to. I, I don't know the last big high profile, you know, local kid they got, I mean, Savell Small, maybe. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a problem. So you're, you're, you're having to relegate yourself regionally to recruit and you're unable to win the big regional battles that, that have become national on top of that. Combined with changing coaches twice in three years, there's just a lack of identity with what that offer could mean, right? You know, me and you again, from 30,000 feet say, okay, DBs are going to be great at Washington defensively. You kind of start there. And then you look at other spot, you know, positions and say, hey, they've got a chance. They've had production at running back and wide receiver, et cetera, over the years relative to the NFL draft. Today's recruit doesn't really see that outside of, of the secondary. Uh, and again, it's more of a developmental deal than, than identifying a kid that everybody wants and winning that battle and still having the chance to develop them. So I just think it's, it's kind of the chips are down all all together across the board with Washington right now. And they need that that galvanizing recruit to turn things around. And again, with Jaden Wayne, there's one right in their backyard. If you could stay in that race and maybe win it, now all of a sudden, you know, other kids will see that. But it's hard to imagine that happening as, as we currently sit. Yeah, I think the only, you know, significantly major recruit that they've been able to land in, in the last several years who's from their own state is probably Sam Heward, who Washington fans are, still waiting to arrive because there's a good chance he won't even 
be the starting quarterback for the Huskies this year. And so I, I think you just have to find a way, like you said, to just get one. And sometimes that can get the ball rolling and people will start to, you know, recruits will start to view your program differently if you see like, oh, that big name guy decided to go there. And so now may, maybe I want to take a second look at it or maybe I want to take a look when I wasn't considering it before. So now that Kalen DeBoer is there and starting to, you know, he's got his staff and they're hitting the recruiting trail and whatnot, trying to get the program back to we all where, where we all know it can be. How do you think he needs to do that? What, what's the recruiting message and what should the plan of attack be like for DeBoer and his staff? I think for, for him, it's going to be educational more than anything. It's going to be like, hey, like if you actually take a closer look, Washington has been a great program for a long time. And with what matters most for these prospects, you know, whether it's the NFL or NIL in some cases, you can sell that if you work it the right way, right? You know, they've had success in developing players and towards, you know, playing on Sundays. And they're one of these schools that's in a huge metro. So you're able to potentially say, hey, you can actually have more opportunity at a place like Seattle relative to some others in the Pac-12 or, or elsewhere. So I think educationally, they have to establish their footprint. And then on the field, the promise of, of however, you know, Kalen got the job, which is obviously selling offense with, with what he did at Fresno State, that's got to start to translate. You brought in a transfer quarterback in Michael Penix. Uh, as you mentioned, Sam Heward is certainly there with, with the most talent in that quarterback room. It's got to translate early. So if you're a Washington fan, first of all, don't hate me. I apologize. But secondly, you know, just just hang tight. Let the season begin and go from there uh, because it's just not one of those programs that is getting that benefit of the doubt we talked about with a David Shaw, with a Stanford, or even other programs that have transitioned with more well-known recruiters like Oregon and Dan Lanning, or certainly USC with Lincoln Riley that have jumped into the Pac-12. I think those things absolutely affect and hurt Washington on the front end of building a recruiting class. But a handful of commits are in. They just got one over the weekend on the defensive side of the ball. So maybe this is the beginning of a turnaround. But get through the summer. You'll host June official visitors. You'll have a couple more commitments. And then it's got to translate on the field. So sell the development and the history and then counter it with, with some on-field perceptional success. Uh, Husky fans are hoping that uh, things will start to feel a little bit better and more encouraging on the recruiting trail. And whether they do or not, we'll continue to bring on John Garcia, Jr., Director of Recruiting for Sports Illustrated. Great to have you on the show, as always, John. Always a pleasure, Spencer. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all of you for listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.